Welcome to 1202, the Human Factors Podcast, the podcast that covers all things about humans, technology, and particularly the bit in between, with your host, Barry Kirby. And welcome to the 1202 Human Factors Podcast. This episode is going to be a slightly different view because we're actually taking more of a case study approach. And it's a case study which I've been um, very proud to be a very small part of, which has been reacting to the COVID-19 situation. And I've become, had the absolute joy to become a farmer. And not, what, not something I thought was going to be in my, um, in my resume, but this has been farming PPE or more specifically face masks um, or the, the parts of the face masks. And those of you who have um, engaged with me before know that I've had a bit of a thing about, about the 3D printing, which actually, I've actually got a really good justification and reason for doing it now. And that is down to two gentlemen uh, in the main, and that's uh, Robert Venus and Dr. Dimitris uh, Plestas. And they're with me today to really tell me about how the whole thing got up and running and, and what we're doing. So um, good afternoon to both of you gentlemen. Hello. It's, um, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here. And really what we're going to talk about today is, I mean, the, the, the whole range of what you've achieved here uh, is just phenomenal. Um, in, in very brief, from my perspective, it, it, it started off from um, uh, seeing a Facebook post about saying, oh, we, 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 we recognize the PPE situation and we're actually going to do something about it. Can anybody help? Does anybody have any random 3D printers? To which I was like, I've got some 3D printers in the office and it'd be great to actually have a justification for using them. But then once you get involved, you just realize just the amount of complexity that you put into place from designing the, um, the, the face shield in the first place, so something that involved like modeling of how good it was going to be, understanding the, the effort you're going through into get, getting it a, 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 an approved thing with the, with, the, with the health authority and just the community around it, the people having to get people to print it to an exact design to get it picked up, to getting it decontaminated and then getting it shipped. Not to mention the fantastic work you've done in terms of uh, raising money to fund some of the materials and just generally getting people on board. So what I'd like to do today is to try and unpick how you actually did that because it's fantastic. Um, so if we start from the top, let's find out who you actually are. So Rob, can you tell us a bit about who you are and how you, uh, how you came about to be doing this in the first place? Okay, um, I wear a few hats. I'm Community Development Officer for Camarin Town Council, which is the council under which we've developed the Almond Valley Makerspace project. So that's, as far as I'm aware, one of the most rural provisions of laser cutters, 3D printers, making equipment, uh, and the most rural makerspace that I'm aware of in, in the UK. Uh, I'm also a director of two social enterprises called Emanuel Development Services and WOW. Uh, and my background is a mixed bag. Uh, manufacturing in steel, uh, arts, education. I was running 60 schools for child protection units uh, not so long ago. And then I came back to the community I was born in to try and improve it a little bit. After you know, sadly losing both my parents, I decided to come back and try and make things a bit better for other people. Wow. So you've really sort of gone, I mean, the, you clearly take hold of this, um, this community engagement um, thing quite strongly. Um, well, it's part of the day job, you know, but it's also the reason I came back. 
you know, making sure that people within this community have got their aspirations where they deserve to be, that they've got the access to the equipment and the skills and the resources, and not just in regards to the making side of stuff. This this is across every possible need within yeah. communities. Uh, the underarching uh, piece of legislation that I work under during the day job is uh, the Wellbeing of Future Generations Act. So that's unique to Wales, but it provides a really nice, clean framework for collaboration, joint working, asset-based community development, or ABCD. Mm -hmm. And with that being underpinned, it allows for relationships and collaborations to happen and a little bit of spontaneity. Yeah? And that's exactly how I ended up meeting uh, Demetrius. Cool. That takes us to Dimitri quite nicely. Um, Dimitri, could you tell us a bit about yourself and how you, um, what, what is it that you do and how you got involved? Yes, um, so I uh, work for Swansea University College of Engineering. Uh, my background is chemistry actually. I've got a PhD in uh, medicinal chemistry and uh, working on anti-cancer drugs for over 15 years in the past. Uh, but having moved to Wales, um, we was very few sort of uh, re relevant jobs you could do around this field. So I uh, did a bit of a career change and I've joined Swansea University um, College of Engineering and now I am a uh, Senior Fund Development Officer. So on my uh, day job, uh, I bring in my experience from my uh, research career and I focus in putting together uh, great project proposals, working together with uh, our academics and also our collaborators from uh, uh, industry. So I work for the Impact Institute, uh, which stands for Innovative Materials Processing and Numerical Technologies, which is a, it's a, it's a massive project. It's a 35, uh, over 35 million pound project that uh, we put together uh, in order to expand the uh, uh, capacity and capability of the college uh, into uh, a number of niche areas. And um, as part of an initiative um, that I started um, at the Impact Institute last year, uh, we managed to get um, a, a bunch of uh, like-minded people from uh, the university and uh, from the communities and the schools and that's how I met Rob. So Rob was in charge of one of the primary schools that we were working with last year uh, with a Formula 3D project, uh, which uh, basically was a little bit of a challenge that um, I, I put myself to start with, which was, uh, can you actually uh, bring 3D printing to the very young ages um, at the primary schools? Um, and uh, Swansea University has a, a, an amazing project which involves the original uh, sort of uh, Formula 3D remote controlled car uh, to help the students, the undergraduate students, uh, think about designing and uh, actually refining the uh, different elements of this little uh, one-tenth scale car. So they, they use it for for teaching, um, for designing like a steering uh, or re redesigning a whole, uh, whole car basically. So when I took this to a uh, local school uh, here in Angaredic, um, the uh, it's called Angaredic, uh, the, immediately the kids were really, really excited to see this one-tenth scale car. And um, uh, at that point, we had 
secured a small grant and we bought a 3D printer for the school. And um, there came the idea, uh, talking uh, with Howell Reese, who is the governor of the school, um, can we actually get this car printed? And, and the kids get more excited then by seeing the car being printed and then uh, take an interest in 3D printing and technology in STEM. Um, and then we had a bit of a more ambitious uh, idea of how about if we give printers to more schools, like if we find printers to uh, give out to more primary schools. And then I approached one university and I got some printers that the students had made. It was the very, um, it was the Mach 1 of the Ultimaker, basically Ultimaker original, which is all made with uh, wood, basically the, the main frame of the printer. And they were more or less write-offs. The university wasn't uh, interested in, in using this printer. There was basically the outcome of a project of a student's um, undergraduate uh, lab project. So um, I, was, I found myself given like uh, seven printers that I took with me together with the eight that the school had in Ankaredic. And we uh, distributed to a number of schools in the area. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Griff is the head teacher of Nangaredic. He has a very nice network with uh, other, other Welsh uh, medium schools. So naturally, he had the channels already there. And that's uh, it's called Bedog, where, where Robbie's governor is, is one of the schools. So uh, we gave now eight schools, uh, eight printers, and a great project, which was basically to print a car that we have I had sort of redesigned to make it a bit more class proof and more reliable on an imaginary race environment, let's say. So it basically would withstand a few, uh, a few uh, sort of crashes and stuff. Um, and um, that's how this first project came about. Uh, but interestingly, this project pulled in uh, people from uh, the public sector, the private sector, um, uh, academia and, and the society. Um, and it's it's um, it's a concept known uh, academically as the quadruple helix of innovation, but uh, it, it never really occurred to me that this could be seriously implemented. You know, it, it was a nice idea to think about, but I'm sure we can talk about this later on. Uh, yes. So, uh, so having brought this group of people together last year in the project, then. Uh, this year, with the COVID-19 sort of challenge, um, I, uh, I, I sort of uh, found a few designs in the internet that other people had um, uh, gone through clinical uh, sort of uh, um, settings and been in approval uh, processes in the US um, and elsewhere. And uh, I picked a few, and then I uh, spoke to Rob. I said, Rob, <coughs> what do you think? So we just see whether we can actually uh, make any use of these printers uh, that we already have access to. And that's how the, uh, the thing sort of started in the beginning. Cool. Um, that seems to be a really quick journey in many ways. Um, Ro, can you just give us a bit of an outline just for the layperson who's so never heard of the Farmers Initiative before? Can you give us a, an outline of what that, what the, from your perspective, the Farmers Initiative actually is? Uh, yeah, it's a coming together of like-minded individuals from their own homes to contribute <laughs> to the global effort. I mean, it's it's uh, doesn't seem like it was as many weeks ago as it was that we put out the first Facebook post. Mm. Yeah. So people have come forward for all sorts of reasons. Yeah, um, they've got a three D printer. 
Some people haven't got a 3D printer, like one person today, for instance, that we were talking about before we started the cast. Uh, very, you know, they finally managed to get their first prints off today after having yep. issues with 3D printers. You know, so that's, that's fantastic. Uh, and they're totally new to 3D printing. They're totally new to 3D CAD. Uh, and that's a beautiful thing in itself. Yep. Yeah, this horrible situation has inspired somebody to get involved in it. Um, in regards to how the farmers work, they, they, they produce using 3D printers. I mean, mm -hmm. that's a very simplistic assessment of what the farms are. But the deeper side to that is that people that would have otherwise been potentially quite isolated during this experience that we're all going through globally haven't been. Okay? Yeah. Masses of chat, communication, <laughs> jokes, banter, you know, support even. Yeah, all, the full gambit of what should happen during a, a, a tough time has taken place within WhatsApp. You know, it, it's, it's been beautiful. Now, from my side of things on the community aspect, one of the motivators behind the Makerspace initiative was, and in fact, one of the motivators behind or justifications for working with Demetrius on the 3D printed cars was that we've got this wealth of people within communities, not just the one I work for, but across the, across the world who are engineers, mathematicians, scientists, artists, uh, innovators, designers, makers who have no or very limited social outlet for what their passion actually is yeah. you know so if you're a kid in the secondary school uh, or being an ex-teacher say if you're a young person in a secondary school if you have an interest in engineering there's the vast majority of those children their experience and opportunity to embrace that interest, that passion that they might have, takes place once or twice a week for an hour at a time in school. Yeah. Yeah. What I hope to achieve out of this is that we make sure that every single person that has an interest in engineering, science, technology, arts, maths, etc., that they are provided with the same level of social community access to facilities and support and social interaction as somebody that's got a passion for rugby, football, cricket, any of the sports. Because current condition in the majority of Wales, the only outlet for these people is either in the workplace, in their own home, if they can afford the equipment, or in school or college. Mm -hmm. yeah, so we, we, we don't have this opportunity for people to embrace these passions. And yet, when you look at the career options that come from those passions and those interests and those skills, they're, they're high value careers. You know, designers on, on low wages, they're able to sustain a nice lifestyle. Yeah, and yet yeah. we don't seem to emphasize that enough. Yeah. I guess if I can add also, if, if add also that um, it's uh, uh, the, the 3D printing is, is one of these underpinning technologies that um, 
unlocks not only engineering and, and STEM, traditional STEM direction, but uh, also others like art. Um, so, uh, so you, you can have, for instance, uh, an architect that um, is, uh, is using 3D printing to be able to, uh, to show his client what he actually wants to, to build uh, or to design. Um, so we're saying it's, it's, an, it's a number of uh, different uh, careers and professions that uh, would massively benefit from 3D printing, um, let alone the individuals that can make a, a business out of it, especially in this difficult um, economic climate that we are, that we're in and we are sort of uh, about to enter with lots of uh, little businesses losing the uh, being lost just because not able to to. Uh, connect with their clients so now you 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 will see people um trying to uh use 3d printing to um to create new businesses and, and this can be done from home um and what we've uh, actually uh, proven is that <clears throat> we can have even a distributed factory of 85 printers or how many we have at the moment i i, I don't actually know how many printers we have actually operational uh, but in theory, we, we just um, demonstrated you can have a distributed factory uh, with people, like-minded people working from their own uh, home. Uh, and uh, because we're able to exploit some technologies that are so readily available to us, including <clears throat> Dropbox or WhatsApp and Zoom and, and email and the social media, we're able to exchange the information so quickly uh, that it allows for fast design, uh, rapid production, and uh, even setting up a massive distribution network from the volunteers of the local rugby club in Nankaredic. Um, this is all uh, been allowed because we were all uh, able to exploit these technologies that is in our fingertips. It's, it's quite stunning, really, because there's what? There's over 30 farms at the moment? Um, so oh. the fa- we're, we're over 40 at the moment. Wow. So there's over 40 farms of which, you know, some only have one printer, some may, may have more than one printer. Some may, may have more than one printer actually working, which I don't at the moment. Mm. Um, but also, as, as you say, the, the ability, I mean, using the WhatsApp group, the amount of times I wake up in the morning and the WhatsApp group is full of like a couple hundred messages, um, a mixture of some quite serious stuff and then some less serious stuff, shall we say, um, which has just been that whole community aspect has been, um, you know, it's it allowed a different outlet um, and to know, I mean, fundamentally what I find absolutely really fascinating about this is not many of us have actually met. I mean, we've never, I mean, short of Zoom, we've never met. Um, and I think obviously you guys had, but actually the vast majority, I've got another guy who lives in the same village as me. He's actually called Barry as well. He's got 3D printer and we met through this project and you know we've still never actually you know had a pint together or anything but we now you know messaging mm. each other all the time um particularly because he's very good with 3d printers and i am not so every time i screw up a print i'm sending a photo to him to him saying fix this please because i've got no idea what i'm doing and he's sending me hints and tips back which i just think is you know re- the camaraderie is amazing so this is mm. this is exactly it barry yeah i mean I'll, I'll keep using certain words. There will be community development, there'll be well-being future generation, there'll be makerspace, okay? So I yeah. apologize. <laughs> but, you know, the, the whole premise of a makerspace is that it's a gym for making things. Yeah. Okay? Now, I, before I had a car accident, used to go to the gym quite a lot. And 
I would say probably about 50% of my time there was actually spent doing something that related to being in a gym. The other 50% of the time being there was spent talking with friends, catching up, communicating, socialising, talking, you know, uh, and then relaxing for a good period afterwards in the, the entrance and having a chat. Mm-hmm. Makerspaces are exactly the same thing, and you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, for people to understand that, you know what, your interest in 3D printing or your interest in photography or your interest in ceramics, whatever it might be, you're interested in those things. You are not on your own. There's probably somebody a few doors down from you in your own street who has the same passions and interests as you. But because we've compartmentalized this behavior and these activities into schools, colleges, universities, and workplaces, people don't see it as something that they can actually talk about and communicate with socially. Yeah. Yeah, and that's it's a real, real shame because, on the child's perspective, that child in school that's got an interest in art, engineering, might be slightly ostracised from the fact that he doesn't get to be part of the big team in terms of the rugby and the sports. Yeah, and then that continues through school. University is a fantastic time because you're surrounded by like-minded people, and it's amazing and beautiful and inspiring. Then you've got the workplace, but then it stops. And the social aspect of meeting new people and sharing ideas becomes the job. Mm, yeah. It doesn't become the pleasure, the leisure, the enjoyment anymore, unless you're very lucky, of course. It becomes the job. So trying to create these opportunities for people and allow people to see that they might not have done... Most of the kids that I've worked with in the time I've been teaching, they've had challenges in life. Okay, they've, they've had things happen to them that have meant education is the least of their priorities. Okay, yeah, but a lot of kids struggle in school. So, if they come through school having struggled and having not reached their potential, where's the opportunity for them to realize it once they've left? Very true, yeah? and it is it's initiatives like this and projects like this that allow people to go, do you know what? I've just found a new skill that I didn't realize I had. You are listening to 1202, the Human Factors Podcast. We wanted to take the opportunity to say thank you for your support. You can help further by rating us through your podcast provider, sharing us through social media, and telling your friends and colleagues. Let's work together in raising awareness of the value and putting users at the center of what we do. That, that's going to be the, um, I guess, some of the, the fascinating outcomes of this going up into the going into the future, which we'll um, we'll come on to in um, shortly. Um, but look, going back to going, going back to the initiative, the output at the moment is what somewhere in, in the past few weeks uh, we've output somewhere in the region of what 11,000 um, 14,000 at the moment and uh, we we reach the capacity of producing 650 visors per day uh, wow. when everybody was sort of uh, you know full operational oh, and full we could, yeah so so that's um, so even though 3d printing probably is not the most efficient method to make this type of product uh, when we join forces with another, you know, 40 people, uh, then clearly you can make some numbers there. Yeah. Uh, but um, 
this is obviously intended to cover a, a, a massive hole that was created to, due to a, a massive market uh, failure uh, of, of from the uh, approved suppliers. Yes. Uh, and because of uh, our ability to act really fast, we were able to sort of meet this uh, immediate demand until the big companies and the approved suppliers uh, managed to to uh, catch up to the to the demand that was uh, uh, evolving. Mm-hmm. So, if we look at the actual design of it itself, it's a. Um, I mean, even with the the period of time that I've been involved with the project, the um, the design itself was uh, is very different because there are. I mean, if you go on to Thingiverse and places like that, there are other three D visors out there, and mm-hmm. ours is um, ours is different. Um, so can you tell us Dimitri a bit more about how the design came about and and, and how it's evolved because it has evolved over the past few weeks as, as you've um, people have um, tweaked the design and stuff so how did you get the original design and, and how has it evolved so I, I did a bit of a background search to what designs are out there because um, what I didn't want to do is just go and create something totally novel and new uh, because that would have probably very little cred- credibility, especially because I'm not an engineer. You know, you, people can turn back and say, you know, you just created something that is not safe, it, sh- it sh- shouldn't be doing that, and so on. So, what I did is I did a bit of research, um, and it became apparent that there are two prominent designs that they were uh, out there that, that caught my attention. Uh, one was the Prusa design, those is very famous, uh, lots of people are printing these. And the other was the Batman Industries design from the US. Um, I, uh, I took a liking to the Batman Industries one because I quite liked the fact that it was sealed from the top. Uh, that would prevent droplets uh, from, uh, you know, falling on, on the user from uh, the top of the visor. And also, if you are working in a hostile environment and you have some ventilation coming from the ceiling, it, I, I sort of imagine that he might be pulling some draft in front of the face of, of the user. And, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like with a chimney effect, it would actually drive particles and droplets in front of your, your face. So I, I then locked to the idea of the Batman Industries one. Um, but immediately it came apparent that he um, had some things that they might make it single use, like uh, the use of a foam with the, with a sticky tape at the back of it for protecting your forehead. Um, from any irritation uh, due to many hours of use. Um, so then I sort of thought, how can we make this uh, totally reusable? Somebody can disinfect you with a bit of alcohol spray or bleach or something. Um, and a foam was a, was a non-starter. So I would say, this, okay, what, what if we just remove the padding completely? and allow the user to make their own padding. And what do we need to do that? So that's when I came with uh, a couple of um, uh, iterations. Uh, I just introduced a couple of changes in the design, which is basically introducing a, a slit uh, and, and a little hole next to that slit on either side. And that would allow the user to actually thread um, a, a wet wipe, uh, you know, a skin sort of safe wet wipe um, uh, that you can actually throw in bin at the end of the day or yeah. after use. Um, and uh, that would allow the, the web to be your sort of uh, padding uh, 
to sort of protect your forehead uh, against an irritation. Um, but then uh, also uh, the, the slits would allow, instead of um, you having to thread a, a piece of cloth or a piece of uh, paper towel, to just use a couple of elastic bands. So it's got two positions. You can put two elastic bands and essentially your forehead is resting against the rubber, uh, which is a lot more comfortable and more steady than uh, uh, the plastic alone. But I think, so just to interrupt, I think this brings out a couple of really important points is where you've been looking at this, this design, it's not just coming up with a bespoke bit of kit. You've got the bespoke bit that, we've, that we're printing out, but actually you're trying to use generic items as well that, that could get off anywhere, such as your elastic mm -hmm. bands, such as your wet wipes, such as um, everything else. That, so any, anybody can actually engage with them. So it's been quite yes. a complex jigsaw you've put together. Uh, yes, that was that was uh, um, at the back of my head that, uh, during the whole time to make sure that uh, we, we're not actually going to make something that is really pretty and really uh, slick. You know, we're going to make something that is doing the job, um, is protecting the the user from uh, splashes. That's what it's meant to be. It's splash-proof screen. Um, and um, would allow replacement of, of, the, of the clear part of, of the fissure uh, by using uh, something that is off the shelf and available to everybody, like the PVC covers that we use it, mm -hmm. um, and also the elastic band. So instead of having a, a band um, uh, that uh, you have to cover with your scissors and, and have uh, little slits, I'm just using two simple elastic bands you can see here. So Using elastic bands make it, uh, uh, first of all, self-adjustable, uh, which yeah. meets the criteria of, of the, of the visors uh, in the first place. Um, and put a couple of uh, adjusted uh, sort of places in the, in the back clip that we're using. So, so we solve the issue of how this is gonna be secured to, to your head. Uh, the, there's some concerns that maybe the elastic band can sort of uh, mess with your hair or you can pull your hair or whatever, but this, uh, in, in a hostile environment, you're meant to use this, for instance, with a, with a hair neck. So essentially, you, you tuck your hair <coughs> away uh, using a hair net and a cover, and uh, uh, then you position this secondary protection shield on, on, on your forehead. Uh, now, the other thing we had to change was the anchor points that the Batman uh, design had. Um, <clears throat> they, I noticed that they were not equidistant to each other. And that's the, the other big USP is actually, how can you make someone make their own uh, PVC uh, a cover, uh, a visor, and uh, a, simply by using a four-hole punch without design, you're able to make your own. Mm. So I moved the anchor points to be exactly eight centimeters between each other. So all four anchor points, uh, as you can see, they are equidistant. Uh, so you can either use a two-hole punch or, uh, you know, punching twice, or you can use a four-hole punch that a lot of people have in their office mm -hmm. yeah. and you can just buy a pack of 100 PVC seats from your local uh, stationery shop. Uh, in Carmarthen we have uh, a great guy Mike from uh, Bowen and Weaving uh, in Blue Street that he's basically supplying this uh, by the thousands to us at cost price so he even brings them home. 
which is really great. And he told me that, listen, if any local organizations want any PVC seats, he's going to uh, bring them to where they need it. As long as they don't have So supply, uh, secure supply of the PVC clear seats is, is solved. A lot of elastic bands around, you know, again, you buy it by the kilo, couple of kilo of elastic bands, four pounds. Um, a pack of 10 uh, or a pack of 100 PVC seats for eight pounds. Uh, so you have something that is, is not really expensive if you want to change the, 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 the front cover yourself. Yeah. Uh, or you can actually reuse it because PVC as a material, again, for my chemistry sort of years, it's actually quite um, uh, resistant to uh, bleach, to ammonia, to, uh, to bleach, to uh, alcohol. So the disinfectants that you, uh, you're using in, in the hospital environment that can be used to disinfect uh, the, the the face shield, and, that, and that's very important. That's why it's making it uh, reusable because you're able to disinfect it and reuse. That's really cool, um, and it just shows again the amount of um, different aspects and the different things that you've had to take into account. Because this face shield now is on ninth, tenth iteration, um, and each tweak seems to have been some of them been really big iterations you know they you've you've really sort of compacted the design and some of it has been around usability which is obviously what i'm really interested in but some of it has also been around ease of manufacture mm-hmm. um so we can actually speed up the manufacture and help people do do that yeah how, how have you found the challenge of we've all got different machines mm-hmm. um and so 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 you obviously you guys have been playing with ultimakers um some people have had the um creativity uh, creativities um or gtex or whatever mm-hmm. Um, how have you found that challenge in being able to design something that you can print on almost any other any machine? Mm-hmm. Um, so again, let, let me go back a little bit on the 3D printing because I did mention earlier that it's uh, actually a not very efficient way of printing something. When we, when we first sort of start printing, it's, uh, when you do the slicing, uh, the slicing software is, comes up with uh, like two, three hours time to print, you know, and obviously that is a non-starter. Yeah, you cannot, you know, make uh, hundreds of items that take so much time to print. Uh, so we had to speed up the printing process. And how do you do that? You, the easiest way is you uh, you can play with the settings, but the easiest way is to basically use a bigger nozzle. So basically, you allow more uh, material to go in um, uh, to to come out and. Um, uh, speeds up the print settings considerably. So uh, you can buy, of, we, we actually bought loads of different nozzles um, and 0.8 millimeter, one millimeter are the biggest ones uh, uh, that we can use comfortably. And then we started um, uh, sending these and sharing them with, with the farm. So if somebody's joined the farm, the first question is, what printer do you have? What nozzle size? Okay, they say 0.4 millimeters, which is a standard size. So then we say, okay, how about you trying a bigger nozzle? I'm going to send it to you with the distribution network that we have. So be with you tomorrow. And they were all really happy to try. So we all essentially learned how to print with big nozzles. Uh, with, uh, they're not great for detail, but uh, they're very good for robustness of what you're printing. And uh, the the outcome is actually quite decent. It's actually uh, we even have the 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 world's wording for keep safe, can't do and the ogle. Sorry about my pronunciation. <laughs> uh, no, uh, and, and you can see actually clear. 
so yeah, uh, so and you can see clearly the, the writing as well. So the detail is there, uh, uh, the, the amount of detail that you need. But when, come, going back to the settings now, um, each one of us uh, essentially, so each one of these forty people are actually trying to improve their settings. And when somebody comes with a with a breakthrough, the first thing you do is actually share your experience with WhatsApp yeah. and say, guys, look, I've got this fantastic setting. If you actually select uh, whatever printing your outer walls before the inner walls, it actually gives a really smooth finish. So then everybody takes this on, apply to their own settings and try again, a bit of trial error. And eventually we come with the, with the very good sort of uh, decent finish in, in, in the budget we produce. Uh, we, we, importantly, we put in place some measures to, um, uh, to ensure that the end user has confidence of what comes out from the farms uh, has been decontaminated and you know we, the, the worst case scenario would be if one of us had the, the virus um, and then by handling the visors you just make a batch of a hundred out there and they just affect a hundred people uh, so we tried from the onset to uh, to prevent that from happening so we, cre we created uh, designated uh, clean and final assembly areas. Uh, so for, for instance, Rob has a disinfected area, a disinfection area in his place uh, in Ammonford. I have, uh, I have started one here in Angaredic and now I have outsourced to two other uh, friends from the village. Um, and uh, then we have one in Aberystwyth um, uh, that uh, we, we have uh, a few farms that way and it was the most convenient thing to do is to set up a disinfection uh, place in Aberystwyth and, um, and one in uh, Swansea. And so essentially we created four designated, uh, five actually, five designated clean areas uh, and uh, all the parties go through them, uh, are being cleaned either by uh, alcohol misting uh, or with uh, bleach. Uh, treatment mm -hmm. um, and then we back them up and off they go to the end user um, we, we we just use simple materials for instance we're using the cancel bags that we have the blue bags uh, we, we use a, a new pack uh, we assume that they have not been manhandled okay it's not sterile but it's virus free because it's coming from the factory yeah uh, that's assumption plus it may have taken a few weeks to reach you so even if there was any interference with uh, somebody with an infection, uh, th there would be the time uh, in between uh, you receiving the bugs and using the, these virus within the present. Um, the same thing with use PVC acetate seeds that they're coming already wrapped and packed from the factory. So we are taking a couple of assumptions there that um, the materials that we're using are not sterile, but virus-free. That's, that's yeah. very important. Cool. That's... I mean, clearly, in that whole process, they've, there's been a lot of thought, a lot of learning, and a lot of care taken that we are producing not only something that can be used, but can be used again and again and again. But should, there's also, from what I can see from the amount of effort that, that you've put in, that um, you've had to go through a lot of hoops to convince the, the health authorities, um, the, the, the end users of these, or the, the, the boards of these, that the product is as good as we say it is. So Rob, could you tell us a bit about what you've had to do to talk to, um, oh, well, who have you had to talk to and what have you had to prove that, um, that actually the product and the effort that we're doing isn't is wasted? 
Okay, so very early on, uh, both myself and Demetrius went about this in a way of wanting to make sure, as you say, that what we provide is safe. Mm -hmm. uh, safe doesn't just mean virus-free, it means that it's fit for purpose. You know, same as any design for any product. With the speed that we had to get things out, that was an interesting experience because normally you'd be going through hoops after hoops after hoops to get clearance for items. We spoke to a local hospital uh, who were in need at that moment in time. They passed the item through their clinical engineering department, uh, which then passed the item as being suitable for reuse and decontamination under clinical engineering protocol. Uh, from that point, it went to the clinicians and we received feedback on, I believe, around about the 14th of April. Okay. Uh, stating that the item had been cleared for use uh, by Gold Command. Uh, so a specific group set up to manage the COVID issue yep. uh, within the health board. Uh, and that it had been cleared for use within the hospital. And everything was resolved from there. Uh, so that was really important for us because it allowed us reassurance in our knowledge that what we were making had been checked to the best of our to the best of capabilities at that moment in time. Yeah. Can so, I also add uh, that in the international arena there has been some uh, uh, relax in the uh, authorization uh, process of, of, of uh, producing. Design. So, for instance, the FDA has uh, authorized production of uh, protective face shields outside of the normal clearance pathway during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, and this is uh, based on, on the Part 5, Section D of the enforcement policy for face masks and respirators during the uh, COVID-19 public health emergency guidance. Um, and uh, our face shield, the, the, the initial, the, the Batman Industries design uh, has undergone review in, in the US in clinical settings there and it was recommended uh, when publicated um, to, to be used. Uh, but importantly, as I say, I want to emphasize again that we actually try to make a, a face shield available in the short term during the massive market failure to the local hospitals and health boards to, uh, to have something available because something is better than nothing. That's, that's the first sort of thing you, uh, uh, you, you actually operate by. And uh, that allowed them uh, the, the time that needed to get their approved suppliers to actually ramp up the production. And eventually now we hear that Wales has got thousands and thousands of buyers coming every day uh, to the local hospitals. Uh, whether they're single use or reusable, whatever, this is not an issue anymore. They are, they are coming from their own approved suppliers. So we have managed to sort of step in there when there was a, a short term need and we, we made uh, alternatives available in the short term. Uh, and now, you know, the, we're quite, quite happy if they have met the, the demand. But thinking ahead now, if, if this uh, is only the, the first uh, uh, let's say, 
the, if this is the first round of, of something that may have uh, different peaks, uh, you know, yeah. if, if the second peak starts coming in a few months' time, then uh, what we have managed to do is we can actually regroup and start producing again if, if the demand is still there. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because actually at the moment our main demand is obviously from NHS and things like that. But one of the biggest um, issues has actually been around care homes, mm-hmm. and so I've noticed. So we've been delivering a lot more to almost you'd almost call it that secondary line, wouldn't you? Um, mm-hmm. And and also people like you know the front line isn't just the NHS; it's shop workers and things like that, which we've started to sort of engage with them sort of people as well. So mm-hmm. I think it's. It's probably important to mention, I should have mentioned it, the off that this face visor is seen as, and I, I, is, this, is the term secondary protection? So, yes. so you, you, you're still expected to wear a, um, the actual mask, uh, the, the face mask underneath it. Um, and, and also goggles. So yeah. goggles and the mask and, uh, uh, and outside protection of these gives you a little bit more uh, protection to your face. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, so yeah, so I mean, it, it seems that like you set up an organisation here that um, yes can produce stuff and um, and and that's amazing in itself. I mean the the fact that you got we got so many units out so quickly um, is just phenomenal, and I think it's absolutely mind blowing. But it it hasn't just been the printing side of things. Um, there's been lots of lots more logistics around yeah. it as well, haven't they? So. Um, I mean, Rob, I wonder if you could talk us through a bit around, because obviously you've, you've put in a massive fundraising effort. Um, there's actually getting material uh, because PLA doesn't grow on trees, unfortunately enough. Um, how hard was it to get that? I think that's an important thing here as well. I mean, it is kind of made from trees. Uh, I see where you're going there. That's clever. Yeah. important things as well about our design that I'm, that I'm quite pleased about. Um, outside of this and before COVID decided to uh, take over my life for the past however many weeks it's been. Um, I've been working on a project called Artisan Plastic Salmon Valley. Right. So this is a micro-scale plastics recycling space where community members will be building the machines. Okay. So they'll be building a uh, a plastic shredder, an injection format, an extruder, and a compression format. That allows us to clean up the community and make use of the plastics and make long life items that are more artistic and more valued as a result of that okay mm-hmm. so the environmental impact of what's going on currently is bearing on the back of my mind you know yeah so the fact that we produce a reusable item brilliant that's key uh it also helps in terms of the hospitals having it on hand when needed yes the problem with single use items and i found this in industry in schools in care settings the problem with single use is that you have to keep reordering and reordering and reordering. Now, if a hospital has the capacity to decontaminate an item, it makes sense to provide it with an item that can be decontaminated and reused. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That also doesn't add to the mountain of plastic waste that comes out at the end of this experience. You know, COVID is that. You know, the, the, yeah, the rest of our existence. Bit. Is significantly larger. Yes. Yeah. So the impact that we have now, we have to be kind of mindful of. This podcast is supported by K Sharp, the human science research and human factors consultancy.
If you want to know how innovating in the relationship between humans and technology can add value to your business, product, or research, then visit www.ksharp.co.uk. The wonderful thing about PLA is it's a plant-based polymer. Uh, it, it isn't a petroleum byproduct. It is produced from corn, uh, corn starches, sugar beets, various different plant matter. It's biodegradable. It's innocuous. It doesn't react to isopropyl alcohol or ethanol or acetone. Not that any hospital is using acetone. To do <laughs> but, you know, that's we hope not. Level it can go to, and it doesn't care. Yeah. Um, but that's really, really important. You know, mm-hmm. in terms of how all of this has been allowed to happen, the print farms are the shop floor. Okay, so the shop yeah. floor has been allowed to operate because we've got people in purchasing. We've got people in uh, finance. We've got people in logistics. And those are people who have equally just stepped up and volunteered their time and energy and lives yes. <laughs> for the past few weeks to delivering and making happen what we've achieved to happen. You know, the fundraising effort came as a result of a, a teaching assistant from the school that uh, I worked with on the, front, on the 3D printed car project who said, do you want me to start a GoFundMe? And at the time, I really didn't have any time in my window, and neither did mm-hmm. Demetra, so she set up anything like that, you know? It was yeah. way out away from what we were thinking of. Um, so the fact that Tracy offered to do that is amazing, you know, and that has kept us going and kept us pumped. Mm-hmm. The other thing that's been really useful, and this is where this collaboration comes in and what forms that collaboration can take, is that we've had contributions from community associations, uh, from other town and community councils, wanting to be, do their part and help where they yeah. can. And that has all allowed this to happen. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, quite early on, I was inundated with messages on the Makerspace page, which if anyone needs face shields, by the way, it's uh, Ammon Valley Makerspace on Facebook and drop us a message. But I didn't have time to deal with all of those, especially when I'd say around about 60% of those messages were really quite upsetting. You know, these were staff that were scared and worried and concerned. So the my fellow director from Emanuel Development Services, Andrea, came on board and has been vital in fielding those messages. Yeah, so every single order that's been coming in for the past four, five weeks, six weeks has been processed by Andrea and she's been dealing with not just the please can I have some face shield messages, mm-hmm. but the outpouring of emotion that yeah. comes from that. And that's no mean thing. Yeah, that's that's heavy going sometimes. Yeah. So yeah. people think they might just be sitting there dealing with Facebook Messenger. No, not at all. I mean, it, it, it made my face leak on more than one occasion <laughs> in the first two weeks. Uh, and Andrew has picked that up and run with it. You know, we've got Nicola, who has, aside from having quite possibly the poshest delivery van on the face of the planet, uh, <laughs> okay, because uh, I think if DHL drivers find out other delivery agencies are available, um, 
DHL find out that you can deliver things using Porsche four by fours, then it's going to be very expensive to get our Amazon delivery. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but she's been amazing. You know, she's been driving all over the place along with all of the other volunteers that she's coordinating. That myself and Demetrius don't have to have any time taken away from what we're doing to deal with that. You know, yeah. So this collaboration is so multifaceted. It's across, I mean, Demetrius mentioned the quadruple helix, but within that, within each one of those four parts of that coming together, you've got others, other branches coming off of that. You know, so within yeah. the community citizen aspect of it, when you break that down in terms of what's, what's evolved alongside this, you've got people with all backgrounds, all skill sets, all abilities, all personal motivations for doing this stuff, all of which are positive, you know? Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's just a, it's a beautiful thing. And it can't stop once COVID crawls back under its rock. That's very true. Yeah. Can I also add, uh, uh, go back to your original question on the funding uh, element of things. Uh, the uh, two, um, organ two groups of organizations there, so that uh, they played a, a key role. So uh, one of them is the Breakfast Wind Farm, and Arthur Taithi, the organization that is actually um, uh, coordinating the, the fund to uh, empower community projects. And um, we managed to secure an initial grant of £30,000 um, in the first instance, and then a second grant of £7,000. <clears> so the, uh, we used the first grant to immediately buy 15 uh, high-spec printers. Uh, so that Im immediately increased our capacity from, the, from where we were, about 30 to 45 in, in one go. And uh, with the second grant, we actually bought um, over half a ton of filament to, to keep the printers going. Mm -hmm. so, <clears throat> so this was very important um, to, to, keep in to keep us going in terms of materials and capacity. And the second lot of organizations is uh, a number of primary schools in the area here uh, in Carmarthenshire and Amundford that uh, we worked together on the project last year. Uh, and uh, the reason why these schools have helped us is actually they gave us the printers that we had donated last year to them. So we recall their printers. Uh, we actually put a plea for, for them to, uh, to give us the printers uh, to use them uh, to start the production. Uh, so within a couple of days, I had the head teachers coming uh, from uh, Skol Halakluni, from uh, uh, Bedol, from uh, Nankaretik, um, and uh, Peniel, uh, all the schools that we had in, in the project last year, they brought the printers here. And also the new project that we were doing with Swansea University this year with another five schools in Swansea area, uh, they, they brought us these printers as well. So we had 15 printers, uh, that they need a bit of, of TLC, but there's nothing that we couldn't do uh, with, with a few spares that we had in tools to get them going, as well as with the 15 new printers, high spec that we bought, and everybody that was joining in at that time with their own printers. I mean, we had some of the farms actually found this as a, a great excuse to buy a second printer as well uh, in the middle of all this, which is great. 
so we, we created this capacity um, because of uh, a number of organizations, uh, uh, either through funding or through in-kind contributions, and that's very important. That, that's really, um, really good. And I think a, a huge thank you to basically all the people who've donated. Um, I will put the links up to the um, Unvalley Makerspace on Facebook on my um, on the description of this and the link to the GoFundMe. Mm-hmm. Um, and if anybody still feels like contributing to that, then that will be more uh, very much appreciated. Um, Can I ask Dr. Barry that if, uh, because this because the GoFundMe uh, obviously it, it's gaining a lot of attention and uh, any funding that we won't be able to spend uh, for whatever reason, you know, whether the demand dies out or whatever, any uh, extra money that we've got through the fund, we will donate to these schools, to these primary schools who brought us the printers and also they brought us uh, whatever PLA supply they already had. So, Brilliant. Uh, so that, for that reason, any extra money that, that we made, they're, they're going to go be reinvested back to the community and to the schools. Because there, as you as you probably know, their budgets are, are so tight, uh, and it's it's quite sad to see a number of schools that they have to merge classes or lose uh, teachers just because uh, unfortunately they have been considered as a business. Um, but that's a different discussion. Uh, <laughs> but that uh, does like, that yeah. does take us. Um, I mean, there there is going to be hopefully an end to this lockdown there's going to be uh, the as you say the um the nhs is getting its supplies of ppe sorted out so actually the the demand on what we're doing right now for this particular instance has has gone down um which is which is great you know because that, that clearly means that the the systems are working but you both alluded to the fact that um that you don't see this, that you see this only really as a start, not a, not an endpoint. You've talked about the quad helix model, and I will I'll put a link to that model as well because it's actually it's a really really the papers that I've read about it since you've read uh, since you've mentioned it are, are really interesting. Um, where do you see this organisation going in the future? Do you have a, a pet challenge behind you already about where it goes next, or what's your vision? Um, Rob, do you understand? Yeah. Um... So for me, this is kind of a boost to business as usual, really. Right. Um, so the makerspace has already kind of created this concept of doing things for the community. Okay, so there's an initiative or a, a, an idea behind things that we do that's about producing what we, what we call community product. Uh, so this might be an item that's produced to meet an immediate community need. So, if, for instance, it, using this example, it would be the face shield. Yeah. Yeah. So that's us producing an item. Boom, job done. Solves the problem. Those items can be fun. They don't have to be really serious, like we're currently dealing with. Uh, we could be producing interesting bikes and organizing a big bike ride for loads of kids and families um, i'm pretty sure somewhere up with us we've got some hovercrafts sat in a shipping container that needs to get rebuilt you know Uh, so there's a lot of fun that can be done through this 
Yeah. The other side of the community product side of things is producing items within the makerspace, within the print farms, within other spaces that collaborate with us that are pure sellable products. So these might be um, 3D printed desk tidies, for instance, you know, or anything else. Uh, the money from that then comes back in to support, A, the maintenance of the initiative and the philanthropic work that I'll come on to, uh, and B, to actually help out with other needs within communities, within schools, and within other, other services. You know, so that money isn't profit as such, it's, it's a donation in response to receiving something in return. Yeah. You know, so someone might want a desk tidy, they want to get it from us, fantastic, they know the money goes to a good place. Um, the other side of it is working on pet projects, like you phrased it, which is quite interesting. Uh, we had a message come through on Facebook, uh, a kind of plea for help. Uh, to, to create a prosthetic limb for a lamb. <laughs> yes. That, I mean, that is so beautiful in amongst everything that's going on to think that, do you know what, we, we're actually going to be able to continue to do cool, nice, philanthropic stuff after this. So the community will be maintained. Yeah. There's a, there is a, a possibility of kind of... Uh, bringing it all together and I don't know, maybe offering a 3D printing service for someone that wants a Yoda head desk tidy. You know, yes. they send us the STL, we print the file, we post it off to them. Yeah. That could be the closest print farm. Yeah. Okay, so this print services already exist, you know, but to the best of my knowledge, not in the model that I want to present. And that's the, the income that comes in. Yes might create a job for somebody in that print farm and provide income for them. But any profits from any of that, anything above paying the way and paying the expenses and paying the costs for that person goes straight back in to working on prosthetic limbs for lambs or whatever else it might be. Uh, something else that's come through is... Uh, Highly de high dependency children who have oxygen tanks and that kind of thing, uh -huh. uh, producing oxygen tank toppers in their favourite character or whatever it might be. They right. Top yeah. off their mm -hmm. tank and make their tank a bit more personalised for them. There's a there's a there's a raft of stuff that we could look at. You know, it's uh, it's really as as small as the imagination is. If you are a Human Factors practitioner or in a related discipline and are not already a member, then do look up the Chartered Institute of Ergonomics and Human Factors. They are the professional institution for all Human Factors practitioners. Find them at www.ergonomics.org.uk. And that, actually, that example of... Um... Milo the lamb as well was it just shows how far how much reach you've had as well because I know that some of these um, some of the face masks and um, I think have gone as far far up as sort of Cumbria and places like that because Milo um, is based in Cumbria um, actually ran part of a, an animal charity that a friend of mine runs um, and it's amazing just how much reach it's had and, and the lamb Barry <laughs> say again 
Milo is the lamb, yeah? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's amazing just how much reach um, this, this project has had in terms of people hearing about it. Yeah. Um, Dimitri, yeah, I think you've got to um, tell us your thoughts. Yeah, so... Pictures of Milo because he's super cute. Mm -hmm. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes, he is. Yeah. Oh. So um, I think uh, what's, what's going to what's gonna happen after and what's our motivation behind continuing this? Um, uh, the first aspect is a, is a social. We have actually uh, promised that we're going to all meet each other eventually when this is all <laughs> And uh, Non-Credit Gratis Club has already committed to uh, allowing the space and uh, we're all going to have a nice meal and a few drinks together uh, uh, just to actually meet who are the people that we've been talking with and, and doing this, uh, putting all this great effort together. Uh, so the social aspect is definitely there, um, waiting to, to happen. The, the other thing is from my, uh, from my motivation is uh, to continue uh, well, we started last year, and Rob was involved in into rolling out the 3D printing into primary schools. Um, just want to emphasize that we're not targeting secondary schools, or not only because, not because we don't want to. It's actually the secondary schools already have um, started using 3D printing. So essentially, what we're doing, we actually. Uh, pushing uh, the challenge to the primary schools so the kids then go a little bit more prepared to the secondary schools and just basically allow it to flourish uh, during during that time. Uh, so um, for instance uh, we want to see uh, to uh, run again the Formula 3D project uh, that we did last year that the, the schools had a race against each other with the, with the car that they manufactured uh, so we want to expand this and, and roll it out to even more schools. Imagine if you have a massive race in the velodrome in Kamala and again with uh, 50 schools instead of uh, only eight. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> Rob looks quite concerned about that. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody uh, who wants to see it, go to the Amavelli Makerspace page and scroll back a bit, okay? Or look at video media and you'll understand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, there are lots of other projects we thought about as well. So, for instance, we have another project we're going to do this year. Unfortunately, it has been postponed with a robotic arm. So, you can actually print a robotic arm that's got, again, some electronic motors, simple things, a remote control. But then you have a competition where uh, a group, the uh, two kids, has to actually move uh, a, a few items from A to B. And that's, that's how the, the, the uh, celebration event can come down in the end. Uh, the idea is there for boat race. You can print. Uh, you can actually print a boat, a little boat, and have a boat race or a castle or other things. Um, but importantly, what we've seen is that if you put a 3D printing in primary school, then the teacher will be able to use it to teach other subjects. It doesn't have to be engineering, as I said. Yeah. So first inquiry we had in Swansea, um, um, in the new schools over there, is oh, can you actually print a brain or something just to show the kids what the brain looks like or a skeleton? So they can actually uh, teach um, uh, the, not only engineering, but, but other aspects. Um, so there it is now a challenge to get the 40 farms that we have to adopt their local school. And that's where the big impact is going to happen. Imagine if we had 40 schools in the first instance with 40 advocates from the community to, to, to sort of support in the schools if something is wrong with the printers and the has to go in and fix it, you know, spend a little bit of their personal time. So if we manage to get 40 schools out of these to join our, our project, um, then that would be fantastic. 
um, then there is an idea even to create a summer club. Why not? You know, just mm. uh, just uh, create a camp that kids can come over for a couple of weeks and and learn about three D printing. Just putting this Formula One project as as the end point or, or the end goal. Um, we have a, a, an aspiration to expand this internationally, this effort, uh, for instance, uh, against Swansea University and uh, our, of, uh, one of our farms, uh, which is uh, Andrew Rees, uh, the academics from Swansea. He is leading a two million pound proposal to the Horizon 2020, with, uh, which involves another uh, six European countries and hopefully, be, if successful, uh, we'll be able to roll this out to another hundred schools in Europe. Uh, again, we're targeting primary schools in Europe. Yeah. Uh, and we had inquiries from the London Zoological Society who wanted to tap into our existing channel with the schools to be able to uh, teach the kids about the biodiversity of the angel shark. Uh, so there's lots of uh, opportunities. We, we actually put a joint bid with the Zoological Society uh, to the Heritage Fund. Uh, to introduce uh, uh, learning outcomes around biodiversity using 3D printing. Um, and then uh, I want to see how uh, different business models can evolve with 3D printing because, uh, for instance, it's not very efficient to mass produce something and sell it out there. However, if you can turn this something into an event or into a competition, into a learning outcome, into a summer camp, that's when the 3D printing really realizes its value. Yeah. So for instance, the, the Formula 3D project that is deriving uh, from the OpenRC, uh, which is our inspiration for, for the car design, um, and Daniel Norrie from um, Sweden. Um, I don't think he was able to take off as uh, selling 3D printed cars. However, it, it does take off as selling an experience, an event, uh, a get-together. Yeah? So that's, that's, in summary, is my, my motivation. On the education side of stuff as well, I mean, it's important to note that we've got th three, four uh, print farmers currently who are design technology-based or arts-based teachers. Right. So obviously that's one of my areas of interest in the secondary curriculum anyway. Um, is how can we now go around, share, talk about and discuss what we've gone through as a, on a journey uh, and show how every single subject within a curriculum can be, can be achieved against, can be uh, embraced, every child's skill set. Yeah. As we have as individuals involved in this. I mean, we've all got different skill sets. We've all got different interests. We're all, we're all studying different subjects, you know. How can we go into schools now and share that message? How can we go in and create a, an event day for pupils in a school to show them the, uh, the experience that we've gone through, replicate it as a kind of a challenge within the school? Uh, there's a great board game called Pandemic. You know, so I'm not inventing anything new in that regard. Appropriate. But, <laughs> fully. Uh, <laughs> to actually uh, create a design, but also a, a logistical problem for these children to solve and these young people to solve. Uh, we're going to cross so many different curriculum aspects. It's, it's ridiculous. I mean, it, within Wales now, the digital competency framework, for instance. Now, it's something that a lot of schools see a lot of challenge in 
but through working with outside agencies, outside partners, local families, residents, maker spaces, you know, they're able to you know, bring that skill set into their schools, even if they don't have it as staff members. You know? um, the other side of that, for me, uh, I should say that the children I worked with were all on child protection registers. Mm -hmm. you know? At the minute, there's not a lot of contact happening with young people. Yes. Yeah. Obviously, that is uh, off topic from 3D printing for two seconds. That is a concern. You know, given that school teachers, uh, youth workers, and normally the per people that children that are at risk or are vulnerable will often talk to and rely on, what can we create once we're able to meet as a group again? What can we create that goes into schools and allows children to talk about their experiences that they've gone through during this lockdown and allow them to realize that they weren't alone in that experience. Yeah, because a lot of children apparently are going to be feeling quite isolated, but in a in a very negative sense. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So creating something from this that uh, that benefits schools academically and in terms of teaching and learning, but also improves the uh, the well-being outcomes of young people after this. I mean, that's a huge, huge win for me. Yeah, and it's uh, it'll be enjoyable to do it as well. I mean, that's going to be fun, you know, going into schools and building loads of random stuff and running around like idiots. It's great. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I think I've, I've just realised we've now been talking for quite a long time and I'm quite keen not to take up too much more of your time. But firstly, I think I'd like to say thank you for... Um, just for this insight, because the when I've been doing the printing, I've been very focused on must get a good quality printout, and you know, to, it's all about that NHS front line. But actually, throughout the past hour or so that we've been talking, we've actually focused very little on that NHS front line. Your your ambition of, of both of you for that outward looking altruistic ways is, is really inspirational, and I think we need to do all we can to get that side of that message out there because it's phenomenal. Um, it's it's a, it's a, it's really opened my eyes into um, just how large this could really could be. So, um, very from a very personal, selfish perspective, I want to take the opportunity to say thank you uh, for what you've allowed me to be part of, and I presume everybody else must be the same. Um, as a final question, then um, lockdown, we've heard that might be getting lifted slightly in the next few days on as on the day that we're recording this. But take, take yourselves forward to lockdown is lifted and life can go back to whatever life is potentially. I mean, won't be exactly the same, but it'll be something similar. What is the first thing you're looking forward to doing when you can actually get out of lockdown? Rob, what, what, what's your, what's your, what, what do you want to do? Seeing how I can maintain the firefighting carnage that's been going on for the past four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, because I've actually enjoyed it. I know, that sounds, I know that sounds, might sound weird, but yes, I don't want to go Yes, I would much rather be doing it in a situation that doesn't involve a virus. Agreed. But I think I'd be lying if I was to say that this experience hasn't been overwhelmingly positive. Uh, yeah. This experience that we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, and for me, I'm looking forward to moving on to the next bit planning the next bit, 
and keeping the momentum going, yeah? Mm -hmm. As well as maybe having a couple of days where I don't look at a 3D printer. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh... Dimitri, what about you? Mm -hmm. Uh, I haven't really thought about that, but uh, uh, no. First of all, I would uh, really look forward to to a trip to Greece to visit my family. That um, they're going through some difficult times at the moment. Uh, my family is unwell, and um, it's been quite difficult for me and my wife because my wife is from Spain and she's experiencing very similar. Uh, issues with her dad. Um, it'd be good if we would just do a, a trip to go and visit friends and family uh, in Greece, but also to engage with our friends family here in, in Wales. Mm. Um, so that's uh, one of the things I'm looking forward to. Uh, I know what the first thing to do would be if we if we come to the point that we don't need the 3D prints anymore. I, I really need to put the uh, conservatory back together <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> My uh, workshop area. <laughs> Yes, I've, I've got a similar situation where just behind me is sat my one of my printers, and then I've got a couple of printers out in the uh, in one of the outbuildings, and I've been told that they can't stay there forever. Um, <laughs> apparently, listening to the three D printer whilst you're watching telly is also quite disrupting. Um, yeah. And I was like, well, just think of the NHS, you know, just just think of what it's contributing to. Um, I've got to say, one of the things I'm looking forward to is there's as well as the um, the 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 drinking. Um, food sessions in at the Nadigari Rugby, Rugby Club. There's also been talk on the WhatsApp group about a camping trip, um, <laughs> and yeah. so I'm quite looking forward to uh, being able to pitch up with our tents and and just be, sit around the campfire and we'll be able to yarn um, dits about just that really bad 3D printing experience that we had and how badly did what did something screw up as yeah, well as yeah. that general big team hug. Hang on a second, okay. I, basically, I've got access to a very large park. Okay, that um, I'm going to do everything in my power and <laughs> to make sure that we get access to so that we can organize a get together over the course of a weekend, have camping, have campfires, have children play in, have a little bit of reality back for everyone that's been involved in this. Yeah. Um, uh, and I also have to give a shout out here to the volunteers locally within the community that I work for, okay, that aren't involved in this. Because if it wasn't for them, and if it wasn't for the backing of my councillors and the people that I uh, work on behalf of, which is the community, if it wasn't for them stepping up, then I would not have had the capacity to achieve this, okay? Yeah. So the get-together is going to be for all of us, all of them, and give everybody that's been a huge, huge asset in all of this a massive, massive pat on the back. Thank you, hug. If Brilliant. we're allowed to hug at that point, yes, <laughs> I, mean, I think that I think that's um, that will be absolutely brilliant. Yes, because you're you're right. There's not only just what we've been doing, what other people have been doing, sacrificing what they've been doing in order to help us enable us what we did, what we've done. Gentlemen, I'd like to say thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure and an honour to have your time. To I know how busy both of you are to um, to explain what you've been doing, um, and. Best of luck with all the endeavours in the future. I, 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 from a very selfish perspective, I want to stay a part of the team as much as I possibly can because I think it's absolutely brilliant. Um, but also out there, if there's any any anybody else who wants to get involved, I'll put all the as I said before, I'll put all the details on the um, on the description of the of this podcast. Um, but for both of you, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Barry. Cheers, Barry. Cheers. 
Thank you for listening to 1202, the Human Factors Podcast. Please do get in touch with your thoughts, questions, and comments. You can contact us at www.barrykirby.co.uk and on Twitter at B-A-Z underscore K. See you next time. And remember, it's more than just common sense.